Well, good morning. You guys good? Wow. <laughs> That's terrible. Jeez. There you go. Um, it's good to be back with you guys. My name's Gray. I'm the campus pastor in Fairhope, and uh, super glad to be back. Let me tell you one of the things I love about RCC, and I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see this. This wasn't planned. Um, but I came up here to get my pack. And one of the things I love about RCC, you know, my, my name's Gray, and they labeled my pack 50 Shades. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get when Gray's up here. Um, but um, let me see if I can get this back on. Uh, oh, heck, we'll go right here. That's easy enough. But uh, super glad to be back with you guys. I was here back here in November. And, um, and this is the, the reason I'm excited is, is because this is the last Sunday, if you didn't know this, this is the last Sunday of 2018. And so for me, this is my opportunity to give you like a, a pregame speech. Like I love sports. I love football. You got any Gator fans in here? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the rest of you guys are Seminoles and you all are just, just like you've been to a funeral. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Okay, I, I get it. Um, but, uh, but, and so I, I love the, the mindset of a, of a pregame speech that gets you fired up. And so my, my thought process through this whole sermon prep has been like, I have the opportunity to, to get you guys fired up, to challenge, to encourage you into 2019 and, and uh, with the new year. And one of the things that always happens with the new year, and you guys know this, is that oftentimes when, we, when we're wrapping up one year and we're kind of moving into that next year, uh, maybe we have a, a, you know, a lull for a little bit, for a day or so, and we begin to reflect. And, and we reflect on um, we reflect on things that have happened in the past year. A lot of times we reflect on, on uh, some bad things that have happened. For some of you, I, I, even this morning, I heard a lady say, I need to be done with 2018. Like, I, I'm just ready for a fresh start. And so maybe for you, you've had some of those pivotal circumstances that you look back on in 2018, and you're like, man, that was hard. I mean, there was a, a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or, uh, you know, a move that was unexpected and, and you, that you didn't want to do. And so you look back on those circumstances and go, man, that, that was tough. And then you reflect also on, on the good things. You know, for many of you, you're like, man, I hope 2019 continues the way 2018 finished because there was, maybe there was a new job. There was a, there was a move that you were excited about. There was a promotion. There were these good things that happened. There was new life that was born into your family. And so you look back on 2018, you're like, man, it was an incredible year. But I think for most of us, we look back and there's probably a mix of both. There's a mix of, of some, some good circumstances and, and there's a mix of some bad circumstances. But you know one thing that, that we also do? We don't only reflect on our circumstances. We reflect on this word right here, our outcomes. We look back and go, all right, I, I take, I'll use me for an example. I'm 37, my husband, my father, my pastor, and I look at the outcome of my life and go, am I okay with where I am right now? Like, is, is, is the exact place that I'm at, do, do, I, do I wish I was further along? And I think for a lot of us, we go, man, yeah, there's some things I need to work on. Like, there, there's some things I need to change. And so what we do every new year when we will look at our outcomes, then we go, there's some things I need to change. So then we come to our behaviors because we understand this. We know that our behaviors give us our outcomes. So we start thinking, what are those things I need to change? And this is where our resolutions come in, right? I, I don't know if you realize this. 80% of our resolutions will fail by February. Isn't that terrible? 
I mean, like if you're a guest, you know, welcome to RCC, you're gonna fail by February. You know, be encouraged, nice pregame speech pastor, right? But, but we understand that there are these behaviors that drive our outcomes. And, and this is our resolutions. And when I talk about these behaviors and when I talk about resolutions, I want you to think beyond like, I'm going to read, you know, 50 books this year. I'm going to read a book a month this year. I probably need to shed a few pounds. Or I want to put on a little weight or, or I want to, you know, I want you to look beyond those superficial things because I, I would bet for a lot of us, when we look at those outcomes, because you know what, man, I could be even Hanson said, I, I could be a better friend. I could be a better husband. I could be, you know, a better father. How about this? I could be a better follower of Christ. In fact, if you don't have some outcomes that you want to change, you would probably say that you're perfect. And if you're married, just ask your spouse. Like, they'll tell you you're not, right? But we, we, we have these outcomes, and we know that if we're going to change those outcomes, we understand that our behaviors, our decisions impact our outcomes, but 80% of us, or 80% of our resolutions will fail by February. I even think back a couple weeks ago when Paul talked to us about pausing to ponder, and how many of you thought, man, that's exactly what I need to do. Uh, That's the behavior I need to change because it's going to change my outcomes. I need to pause to ponder, and you made a decision that day to pause and ponder, and I wonder just how many of us are still pausing and pondering like we were on that Monday and that Tuesday following that Sunday because 80% of our resolutions of our decisions to do better, to change our outcomes, fail. And here's the deal. I don't think it's because we don't want to change. I don't think it's because you don't want to change or you're not trying hard enough. In fact, as we take one step back from our outcomes, if we would only take one more step back, we would see that behind every behavior is a belief system. Behind every behavior is, is a thought process, a thinking that drives that behavior and that drives that outcome. So if we want to change our outcomes, then we, we do have to change our behaviors, but we have to do the hard work of understanding and figuring out what is the belief system that drives that behavior. This is why the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The apostle Paul knew this. He knew that, yeah, your behavior, the patterns of this world, or conforming along with the patterns of this world, your behavior should be different, but it's not gonna be different because you come to church more, because you read your Bible more, because because you, you pray more. It's gonna be different because those things renew your mind and your mind drives your behavior, your belief system, what you think about things drives your behavior, and that drives your outcome. And my thought this morning would be, what if we did that? What if we on all of our campuses, as we wrap up 2018 and we reflect on all the circumstances, both good and bad, and we look at the outcomes of our life, and regardless of where we are, we go, you know what, I'm going to, behind every behavior, behind every response, behind everything that I say, behind every action, I'm going to do the hard work of figuring out what is the belief system, what is my mindset that is driving, how can I renew my mind moving into 2019 to make a greater impact? In fact, I'd like to answer two questions. This morning, number one is this, is just, what is the outcome you need to change? I would guess that for most of us, we've probably got some things on our mind, some things that we would like to do 
differently. But I don't want to stop there. Because that's where most of us stop every year. That's why 2018 didn't look much different than 2017. And 2017 didn't look much different than 2016. That's why for for some of us and for some of you, you still struggle with the same things. Because all we've done is identified, yeah, I need a different outcome. So the second thing I want to do this morning is, is what is the belief system or systems that need to change to make that happen? And if I'm honest with you, I've spent the last really since I've come in contact with Paul Smith nine months ago, uh, really doing number two, figuring out what, this, what is the belief system behind everything I do, behind how I respond to people, how I respond to my wife, how I respond to my son, how I respond to our people, how I respond when I'm being attacked verbally or when, when I'm in conflict. And really in the past three months, have settled in and really just begin to ask that hard question. And, and a couple months ago in October, my wife and I had the opportunity to go on a marriage retreat. Now, the marriage, it wasn't much of a retreat. It was actually intensive uh, marriage counseling. And so there was us and four other couples, and it was four days of eight-hour-a-day group counseling. It was a blast. <laughs> and, and so... Um, it really was, but there was one day, and we, my wife and I loved it, and matter of fact, we're going back, and just us and our counselor, we just really connected and, and saw God do a lot in us, and it was just really healing, and, uh, but one day, I, I told our counselor on day one, we went around the room and kind of told everybody where we were, and, you know, and I was like, man, you need to, I want you to hit me hard, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm here, you know, step on my toes, do whatever you got to do, the stakes are too high to, to come here and just go through the motions, and, and so our counselor, Ryan, was doing that, I didn't really think he would, but um, I was just trying to be noble, and, um, and so he gets to me, and we're talking about something, and I keep giving him the same answer, right, and there's everybody in the room, and, uh, and I keep giving him the same answer, I was like, I don't know, man, there's really not anything more to say about this, and, and he's like, Gray, and it is so resonated with me. He said, Gray, he said, you're giving me copper. He said, I'm digging for gold. And what he was saying was, Gray, I need you to keep doing the hard work. We need to keep going deeper and deeper till we find out what is the belief system that's driving this thought process, that's driving this behavior, that's giving you this, this outcome. And I think back on that, and, and man, he is so dead on. And so this morning, as we get into a text, it's going to allow you to, to, to name some things, some, some outcomes, and some behaviors that you need to change. I'm going to challenge you that as you leave here, and we're going to, I'm going to help you do that, but as you leave here, you continue to ask this question, what is the belief system that's driving the behaviors? The, naming the behavior is easy, right? And again, if you're married and you don't know what behavior you need to change, ask your spouse, you know, or ask your children. Children, ask your parents. I'm sure they've got a list for you. Right, But if we'll do the hard work of going, all right, what is this belief system? What, what is my thinking about this that's causing me to make this decision, to, to act in this way, to behave in this way that's given me the outcome? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to a part of the New Testament called uh, Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a letter... And, and it's an interesting letter. Now, most of the New Testament is written by Paul, okay? The, the apostle, not, not, not our pastor. Paul's old, but he's not that old. And, um, but it's interesting because the apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. 
And then you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that, that wrote the Gospels. Those are the eyewitness accounts. And you've got some other authors that are spread through there, like, like Peter and James. And, and then you've got this, this letter that we call Hebrews that we really don't know who wrote it. And so it's kind of this mysterious letter, but man, it is, it is dead on for the people then and, and for, the, for us today. And so we're going to look in, in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to hang out here just for a little bit. And, and again, the goal is to identify what are those outcomes that I want to change? What are the behaviors I want to change? But ultimately, what is the belief system that I want to change that's going to give me a better outcome in my faith, in my family, in my finances, with my friends, at work, in life in general? So we'll pick up in, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, it says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, we want to pause right there. Now, you guys have sat under Paul for a long time, so I know you've been taught well. But anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you want to ask the question, what's it there for? All right? And so we see therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses and, and what's the therefore, therefore? If you flip back in Hebrews to chapter 11, you've got this long list of amazing people in the scriptures that did incredible things for God. I mean, they, and, and, and what I love about Hebrews chapter 11 is they're all just, just average folks. Most of them are jacked up in some form or fashion. And so I can relate to that. I say, man, if God can use them, then he can use me. But, but the author of Hebrews talks about them having this incredible faith, this faith that, that caused great things to happen for the kingdom of God. And it's, it's, like, a, it's like a Heisman list, or it's like a hall of fame of, of great people of faith in the Bible. You know what I was thinking? Isn't that, as a Christ follower, with our resolutions, isn't that what we're after? I mean, wouldn't we want to be known as, as a person of, of great faith? You know, on your tombstone, here lies Bob. Man, man, he loved Jesus and he loved people. He was just an average guy, or Jane, she was just an average guy, but she did extraordinary things for God because of their faith. And then how about this? Even if you're not a Christ follower, isn't it true that you want your life to count for something more? Like, like take Jesus out of it. You, you, you want your life to matter, to carry significance. And that's exactly what this list is in Hebrews chapter 11. And so it's just all these people, Moses, Abraham, Noah. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, because of all those people, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people that have gone before us and done great things, and there wasn't anything special about them. They just love God and love people, and God used them in spite of their, their, their hookups and their hangups. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and in these two words, let us. Those two words seem pretty insignificant. But you know, what I know about your faith, because it's true about my faith, is that Christianity is a us kind of faith. You can't fully live out the life that God has called you to live out without an us. In fact, I, I would say it this way, you can't be who God has created you to be without 
community, without a group of people around you. This is why we do groups here. And you'll have the opportunity in a couple weeks to begin signing up. And I would tell you, man, you've got to do that because you can't be who God has created you to be. You can't do your faith well. You can't be a person of great faith without, without an us around you. And again, even if you're not a Christ follower, you know this to be true, that you need somebody that's got your back. And somebody that's got your side and somebody to hold you up and somebody that you can go to. But we know that within our faith community, we need a us. And so he says, therefore, because of what all these people are done, let us, and then here we go. The rubber meets the road. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So here's his advice. First thing he says do is throw off everything that hinders. Now, the first century reader, this made complete sense. In fact, later on in this passage, they talk about running a race. And this is exactly what they have in mind. I don't know if you realize this, but in, in the first century when they ran races, they basically ran naked, right? Today we call that streaking and you go to jail. But then it was racing, all right? But they would come into the stadium with elaborate gowns and robes on. And they would march into the stadium. And when it came time to run, they would take all of that off. Because clearly you can't run fast with a gown on. And, and if those of you that, that maybe watch the Hunger Games, think about when they come into the stadium, they got all these elaborate costumes on. But then when they go into the games, they become minimalist. And they've got only what they need. And so the author is saying, you need to get rid of what everything that hinders you. When uh, over the past several years, um, my oldest brother and I, I've got two brothers, and, uh, and I like to use my family as examples. They know I made them sign a consent form that I can use anything and everything if it makes a good point for Jesus. And uh, this isn't one of those stories yet, but over, this, over the past years, my, my brothers and I have had the opportunity to climb several big mountains, both here in the States and in Peru and Mexico. And and one of the things that we always do before we summit, on the evening of a summit, we do a shakedown. And what a shakedown, it really serves two purposes. The first purpose is to make sure we've got everything that we need. And, uh, and so we go through to make sure we've got, you know, like helmet, ice axe, carabiners, rope, you know, uh, the, the correct amount of water that we need to carry. And because when you're doing big mountains, weight matters. And, and you've got to be quick and you've got to be light. And so we want to make sure first that we have everything that we need. So we lay everything out. And the second reason is we lay everything out and we do a shakedown because we want to make sure that we're not carrying anything that we don't need. On a mountain, when you get above 15,000 feet, the weather becomes really unpredictable. And so you need to be able to move quickly. Not only that, the oxygen is, is far less. And so you're already at a deficit when it comes to speed. And so we want to make sure that we're not carrying anything that is absolutely not necessary. So we do a, a shakedown. And what the author is saying here is that, is that we need to do a shakedown in our life. If you're going to be a person that lives this great faith, if your 2019 is going to look very different in a positive way from 2018, right now, over the next few days, you need to do a shakedown and you need to lay out everything that's in your life and say, okay, what is in my life that I don't need? And when you think about everything that hinders, what I want you to think about are good things that keep you from the best things. 
See, that everything that hinders is not sin. Everything that hinders is not bad things. It's the good things in life that, that keep us from the best things. I'll give you a couple examples in my life. This past year, um, well, let me step back. Uh, for the past 12 years, I've been uh, the chaplain for our high school football team. And, and what that requires of me is basically just a lot of time. And so I'm, I'm gone every Friday and for away games. You know, it's pretty much an, an all-day event, and I get back late. And then I'm at multiple practices during the week, so I'm away from my family in the afternoons. And, and as, as, I've, as we've gotten to this place of life where we've got a 7-year-old and, and he's starting to get active now, I understand that, that my role as a husband, as a father, is to place my family first. And for me to do that, there's no way I could be gone along with doing church work and my family be first. Now, guys, I, I can't think of a much better thing than being a chaplain for a high school football team. But it wasn't the best thing for the season of life that I was in. And so for me, that was doing, looking at my life and going, okay, this is a good thing. But for me right now with a seven-year-old who needs his dad present in his life, and for a family that needs their dad and their husband, I can't do everything. And so some things have to go. I tell you another thing for me that over the years is, is going to the gym. I love to work out. I love the community that's there. And I look at my life from, from being a single college student to being a single adult to being uh, married without children and then being married with a child. And although that has always been there working out, its priority and the amount of time and the days that I do it has changed through the years. Because it's a good thing. It's a, really, it's a stress reliever for me. But i got to make sure it's not keeping me from the best thing, which is my wife and my son. And so I've got to reprioritize some things. This is why Craig Rochelle says this, and this is so good and, and so dead on. The most difficult choices are between good and bad, but between good and best. Like many, many people will live a mediocre life in their faith because they can't make this decision right here between good and best. Good and bad, that's easy. But good and best is the thing that's going to allow us to go to the next level in our faith. So I was thinking for you, maybe some different things. And I was thinking about different ages and stages in life. And, and immediately I think about our students. And I think about social media. And I wonder how much time you spend on social media. Is social media bad? Absolutely not. I love getting on Instagram. I just search for random things. It's fun. I can waste lots of time on that. But is it keeping you from doing what's best? Do you need to rethink the amount of time? What about this, guys, students? What about Fortnite? Now, Fortnite's not necessarily bad. Unless mom and dad says it's bad, then it's bad, okay? Don't go home and say, well, Pastor Gray said, don't do that to me. Mom and dad trump Pastor Gray. But I wonder how much time we spend on that and if that's keeping us from something better or keeping us from, from the best thing. What about, what about you men? You know, for me, it's the gym. What is the thing for you that you enjoy doing? And it's not, it's not bad, it's not sin, and, and, and even in the right context, in the right priority, it's good. But I wonder about maybe your golf game. Or how about this? I grew up, you know, I told you guys last time I was with you, I grew up in South Mississippi, and people quit their jobs during hunting season. I, you think I'm kidding. 
People would quit their jobs during the hunting season. I wonder how long or how much time you're spending hunting. Not that it's bad. It's a good thing. I, I guarantee you it's good for your soul. But maybe you need to rethink the amount of time. Ladies, you're not off the hook. Come on. Since November, how many Hallmark movies have you watched? Good Lord. You've probably been so many boxes of tissues. And the plot's the same. And you keep watching it. There's a, a single lady, and she meets this rich guy that's arrogant. And then she, then he, she breaks her heart, and, and he comes around at the last minute, and then there's some Christmas magic, and Santa shows up. And that's it. But seriously, I wonder if there's some things in, in your life. And again, none of these things are, are bad, and you should, you know, I'm not telling you to go live under a rock. I'm just saying, if we're going to take, take our faith to the next level, man, we've got to rethink some things. And there may be some, some things in our life that we're giving too much time to or prioritizing in the wrong way that are keeping us from God's best in our life and keeping God from doing incredible things in our life. And so he says, throw off everything that hinders. I would challenge you in the next several days to do a shakedown of your life. Just do an inventory. Maybe write out how much time you spend. I tell you, real practically, one of the new things on the iPhone is, is it tells you how much screen time you spend on it. That'll wreck your day. But man, what if it's keeping us from the best that God has for us? The author of Hebrews continues. He says, throw off everything that hinders. And then he has to start meddling. And the sin that so easily entangles. It's not a lot of unpacking there to do with the word sin. Even if you're not a Christ follower, I would imagine that you know there's some things. You may not call it sin, but there's some things in your life that you know aren't helpful. And he says, the sin that so easily entangles. If the things that hinder will slow us down, listen. If the things that hinder will slow us down, sin will stop you dead in your tracks. Every single time. And every time I read this verse, I'm reminded of a story of King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel, and he really just really was a bad king. Made a lot of unwise choices. But back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gives through his prophet Samuel, and the, the prophets are how God talked to his people then. He gave the prophet Samuel this order to give to King Saul. He said, I want you to go find the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were really bad people. And, and when, they were, when the Israelites were on their way out of Egypt... The Amalekites ambushed them when the, when the Israelites were, were weak. And so God says, we're going to, we're going to pay them back for, for, for uh, ambushing my people. And, and so he says, I want you to go to the Amalekites, and I want you to wipe them out. And then God tells Samuel to tell Saul this. He says, even all of the animals, everything. Now, we know, we know how Paul doesn't like cats, and I can't help but think that wouldn't it be nice if it was like there were the Amalekites and the Amalekites, and, and he, got them, he got them all, right? 
In fact, Paul's in fair hope today. If anybody has in fair hope, if anybody has any cats you don't want, Paul will take them. Um, so y'all send them home with Paul. He says, a sin that so easily entangles. And so Saul comes in and, and he does it, but he does, something, he does something a little different. He pulls some of the cattle to himself. And I want you to look. Samuel shows up, and this is what Saul says. Samuel shows up. He says, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So Saul thinks he's done everything, but God told him to eliminate everything, and he didn't. He kept some of the cattle. And so, so this is what Saul, or what Samuel says. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. Uh, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And then uh, Samuel said this. He said, but then Samuel said, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And so he says, uh, Saul, if you carried out the order, and I can imagine that Saul is, is so proud of himself. Man, the Lord bless you, Samuel. I've done exactly what God said. And then in the background, you hear like a, yeah. Samuel says, oh. If you carried out all that, what is this bleeding of sheep, I'm not going to move for you, and lowing of cattle, that I hear. And I want you to know, if you go and continue to read this story, that this cost Saul everything. In fact, in chapter 15, the very or chapter 16, the very next chapter, he, he anoints king, uh, David to be the next king. And what, what, what Saul knew, or what Samuel knew, is that if we're not about killing sin, sin will be about killing us. That if we, don't, if we don't absolutely eliminate sin, it will entangle us and it will stop us dead in our tracks. I love the quote by John Owen. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that's the question this morning. Is man... What is it that you keep nursing like Saul you've got in the background that you need to absolutely remove? Maybe it's a little pet sin. But we got to go a little bit deeper and we got to hurry because I'm running out of time. If you think about what hinders you and you think about the sin that so easily entangles you, remember we said that's not enough. What is the belief system that drives those behaviors and there's really only four and the first one is this is entitlement entitlement says great I deserve it I just do I deserve it I've earned it and then entitlement has a, a, a brother or a sister named selfishness and selfishness says I don't care what this behavior cost anybody else I'm gonna do it because I want to do it not even because I earned it I just want to do it and the third one's probably the most dangerous is pride. And pride says, man, I can handle the consequences. That sin that so easily entangles gray, it's not going to entangle me. That stuff, that good stuff that's keeping me from the best stuff, that, that slows me down, gray, it's not going to slow me down. I can handle the outcome. I can handle the negative consequences. I can keep it from hurting me. Or even this, it's just a little bitty sin. What's it going to hurt? And Samuel would say to you, what is that bleeding of sheep and that lowing of cattle I hear behind you? And the last one is this, a mistaken or misplaced identity. 
that behavior that you can't stop, that's become what you're known for. That's become your identity. And to remove it feels like you're leaving or you're, you're giving up a part of yourself. And you begin to believe the lie that you have value because of what you do instead of what Christ has done for you. It's just what we sang in the, in the worship set, that we are who we are because God has called us sons and daughters, not because of anything we've done. And a misplaced identity is a belief system that will keep us making those same choices that give us the same outcomes. Anytime I prepare a message, I usually have worship music going in the background, and, and there's usually a song that comes to mind that, uh, that I kind of play all the way through it. And for this message, it was this song, Arms Open Wide. And it says this, it says, Here I stand, arms open wide. I am yours and you are mine. And then it says this, My whole life is yours. I give it all, surrender to your name. And forever I will pray, have your way. My thought is this. As we've gone through that and we continue to unpack those belief systems, what if this was our prayer for the new year? God, have your way. Have your way in my family. Have your way in my finances. Have your way at work. Have your way in those secret sins that I hide. Have your way in those habits that maybe aren't bad, but they're not best. And God, I give you all of my life, and I, and I just lay it at your feet. And God, you do what's best, and give me the courage to walk in that. What would happen on all of our campuses if we did that? And here's the thing. We talked about let us. You need people around you, but know this. Within every us, there's a you. And nobody can make that decision. Nobody can name those things that hinder you, and nobody can name that sin that entangles you except you. Nobody can make that decision except you. Within every us, there is a you. And so what is it you need to do to ensure that 2019 is something absolutely incredible? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. For this morning, God, and as, as we wrap up with this song, God, I pray that you would speak to us. And God, this could be our prayer. God, that we would say, have your way in my life. God, surrendered my life to you, Father. Help us to identify those things. God, give us the courage to walk in them. Give us the, the discipline to ask the hard question. What is it that I believe that's causing me to act this way that's given me the outcome? Father, as we sing those words, may we sing them with a prayerful heart, an insightful heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.